Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Behind the Business podcast with me Danny Champion. This is a podcast where I speak to anybody and everybody that I can pin down for an hour or so about their role in the music business, what they do and most importantly why they do it. This week's guest is one Sam Broadbent. Sam is a recently graduated student from up in Manchester. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about what he got out of his time at university. Uh, we talked about his management company. And we also talked about his new publishing company that he set up during his third year at university. This podcast was recorded at the tail end of July of 2018. I have to admit, subsequently to the recording of, of this chat... Uh, the band True Heights, who he was currently working quite diligently with, have in fact chosen to call it a day. So even waiting for a couple of months, um, things become out of date. The chat is still very interesting. There's some great insights in there. So yeah, I will shut up now and I'll let you listen to my conversation with Sam Broadbent. <laughs> start asking about university yeah. first off was it always the goal did you always want to no absolutely not um so my sort of initial plan like when I was sort of in the early days of doing stuff in, with music I was doing like events and things like that I was very strong in the mindset of never going to university right always wanting to do it myself That's fair and, enough you know and try and grow in, in amongst that um yep. so yeah, it was kind of like a, it was one of those sort of. I'd finished college and I was doing sort of events and things like that, but obviously, when you're starting out in events, it doesn't really make, you know, uh, you like straight away you can't sort of create a full living out of it. So you have to do other jobs on the side. So I was working on a building site with my dad, and it was one of those where I was like, wow, I really hate what's going on right now. So, what were the events? You were putting on. So I sort of did um, alt rock and metal events in Scunthorpe. Right. So um, I did some events in Cafe Independent and uh, Lincoln Imp. Okay. So I just worked with like the local bands and just and small promotion type stuff. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I did not know, you know, what I was doing really. I was just making up as as I was going along. I was like, what, sixteen, seventeen. And what sort of numbers were you getting in through the door? I won't lie, it was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if I, you do say so yourself. Even if I do say so myself. <laughs> I mean, when I did a, did first start out, you know, I would I'd pull sort of like, you know, sort of 30, 40 people, and it was. But then by the end of me actually doing my events and stuff, and I think my last event, um, we sold out Cafe Independent, and that was like a two hundred and fifty cap venue. So I was okay. really happy with that. So I mean, that's quite a that's quite a progression. Yeah. And then why? Did you stop, I guess? Because to me, Scunthorpe only had... Uh, it didn't really have any tiers. It had no layers. It was, you know... It was where's, the, where's the next place on? Hull, I'd say. Okay. And why did 
did you not just go, right, okay, I've conquered one, I'm now going to spread spread the net a little bit wider and basically start again and use what you've learned that way. Why, why didn't you do that? So I, well, I mean, one of the biggest reasons why I like I decided to come to Manchester um, is uh, it's just the, the love of music, the mm-hmm. absolute love. I know that Hall was, you know, it was like um, city, of, city of culture for a year, um, but to me, it just didn't spark that that creative. Um, you know, it wasn't that creative place where people could do what they, you know, they they wanted to, what they always dreamed to do, so to speak. You mm-hmm. know, it was kind of like Manchester was always going to be the calling card. It was it was either Manchester or London for me, or what London or Brighton. Sorry. Do you think that's the general consensus? I'd say across so. most of the, I don't know what the second tier cities. That's a bit of a mean way of putting it. Yeah. But you know, if you're not in London, Brighton, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, yeah. maybe? Are those the ones where just everybody thinks we've got to get there? Yeah, I'd say so. From, from everybody I've had a conversation mm-hmm. with, it always seems to be a case of um, it's like go big or go home kind of thing. It's not like progress slowly. It's, it's If you're from a small town, you go to the big city. Um, I, I, I mean, like I say, for me it was exactly the same. It was like going from no opportunity at all to... Everything, you know, everything was was at my fingertips then. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was like, it was a huge rush, and it just it was really motivational as well. I think moving to a bigger place. Like that. And so you had to, well, you basically thought, actually, I think I do need to go to go to university and learn some stuff. Yeah, and but this, well, this was it was like like a I don't know a spur of the moment decision. Because I, I I initially decided I want to go wanted to go to a city and do something with music. Mm-hmm. I then realised, okay, well I'm you know I'm gonna have to find a job this that and the other and and you know start getting established and stuff. And then somebody actually told me that well I, you do realise that universities do courses with stuff that you're doing right now. Um, and and I didn't I didn't actually know at all, but they they seem to be based in all of the you know the major cities. Mm-hmm. So I just started to look around different universities on their websites and things like that and see what they offered. And the fact that they basically offered, you know, the the opportunity to make new connections, to establish yourself in that city um, as a music business professional, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it was kind of like all my worries were kind of... Uh, pushed out of the door after I started looking at these universities because they were offering everything that I didn't think I could get. Right. Um, so what were you looking for? So I wanted to, to develop a network of contacts in that area. That would have kind of stopped me from moving to a city, I think, is the fact that I wouldn't have known where to start. Okay. But the university gave me an opportunity to start somewhere. It gave you the kind of the, the base, the core. This is what I'm doing the majority of my time yeah I've got to go and then for the rest of it it's meeting people working out where where places are that I need to I need to go etc etc yeah. yeah yeah have you done it have I have you achieved what you wanted to yes externally of the education side of things yeah yeah I, I have um, yeah I've 
don't want to sound. I don't know. I sound th- as smug and arrogant as you like. No, I, I, I think I think if I if I'd said to myself before I came to uni, you know, like when I was still deciding whether to go to university or not and do it, mm-hmm. I think if I'd like could have told myself that then, um, I'd probably you know be really excited about what I've actually done in mm-hmm. you know the three years that I've been here. Um, and onwards. So do you think that the main thing you've got out of doing this was all the stuff that you've done outside of a classroom, effectively? Or is it a bit of kind of 50-50? Um, so, I'd say it's, I'd say it's 50-50, because, I mean, grades-wise, it's, it's the highest I've achieved. Grades. I mean, I guess, kind of ignoring the grade side of things, you right. know, you, you obviously came to university with an amount of knowledge, mm-hmm. and you're leaving it with more. Yeah. So... I mean, we'll we'll get on to what you're doing at the moment, but you've set up a publishing company. Yeah. Did you know what the hell publishing was before you signed up to go to university? Absolutely not. Right. Okay. So you are you kind of you're leaving with more knowledge than yeah. than you came in. Yeah. So I guess you know what is the what's what have you? What's the best thing that's come out of it? What's what have you got the most out of? Um. Knowledge wise, knowledge wise, yeah. I'd, I'd first and foremost, I'd definitely say it would probably be the actual publishing aspect. The fact that I didn't realize that publishing was a thing, or I didn't know how big it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember obviously managing bands and stuff, and them talking about like Centric and things like that, but I didn't actually know yeah. what it was. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say taking away the um, loads of bits and pieces that I probably wouldn't have been able to learn by myself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, information like um, like how to plan a tour, you know, how to like appropriately um, map it out across the UK just to make sure like you you plan a correct route without you know going too far out of your way and things like that. Um, also going away and, and knowing what kind of companies are say blacklisted ones to kind of avoid you know okay. ones that exploit artists ones that that are out there to kind of get the you know to exploit you for 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 money or or anything else because yeah, there's businesses like that everywhere mm-hmm. and, and and yeah it's universities like this that have you know kind of said make sure you avoid these particular companies or or these particular tactics okay. like um like pay to play gigs um, mm-hmm. certain percentages on ticket sales and things like that whereas beforehand I would have just gone ahead and so you are in a position now and we'll get on to the artist management stuff yep. to kind of to say yes and no in a different way now and to different things and you'll be a lot more hardcore and steadfast in, in the negotiation processes and things like that and you're more confident with contracts and things like that it's not just a yeah it should be fine yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. i mean a big example is i never knew anything that went into a a a music business contract at all um and even like management contracts and stuff like that you know I, i had no clue and there was an opportunity that came up fairly recently where i could put all of my knowledge that i'd learned you know in like law classes about contracts and a few master classes that I'd, I'd seen with, with big lawyers that work in music um, that 
I actually could then apply and read these contracts through and I knew where things you know were like what, what to read in the small print and mm-hmm. who to go to as well who to speak to about going through these contracts and making sure that it's secure mm-hmm. is there anything that you're still a little bit I haven't I haven't ticked that box just yet um I mean, there's always going to be things. There's, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, like, you know, things develop all the time. I'd say, I mean, I've not done a lot of, like, label work or label experience, things like that. Um, I'd say more major distribution, as in, like, you know, um, going through distribution in a in a label, that kind mm-hmm. of work. Never done anything like that before. That's something I think is a box that I need to tick. Do you, but uh, here's, here's a loaded question somewhat. Do you think it is a box that you need to tick, or is there something detrimental about trying to tick every box? Um, Jack of all trades, master of none type idea. Do you think that's a good thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I think being a jack of all trades, personally, is is, is better than yeah, yeah. being a being a master of none. Uh, maybe more in my circumstance than other people's, you know. But. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the fact that I know that I know stuff across a whole range of uh, you know bits in in music, and it means that like say with me managing artists and stuff, I know who to go to, what to say, you know, um, what what is more professional. Vocalist, right. uh, and I've been a bassist as well. Okay, but, um, that was that was a very short-lived period of time. But I was like a, a harsh vocalist, so in you know like the heavier bands. Yeah. yeah. So you started off playing in bands, and then yeah. you decided that actually you're better off working with them from a management perspective, or was it kind of for you running those in parallel to one another? I think it's because I always had like ideas. I was always like really like, oh, you know, we should do this. We should look like this. We should put this across that way. Mm-hmm. And I, then I came to realize that actually, I think that my whole passion for music and stuff like that is the way it's presented and the way it's it's put out there, um, and how people engage with it and stuff. So I yeah. think I think it was you know, um, yeah, like a bit of a realization that oh, actually, I like being the guy on the outside that tells people right. You know, it should look this way. You know, we should market it this way. Mm-hmm. We should go and play in these areas. Um, and I like being organised, so it kind of made sense. Who were some of the acts that you've worked with? What were they like to work with at that level? Um, kind of f- fill me in on, on the background. Okay, cool. Um, so I, I used to work for a radio station. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit before I sort of did the whole construction thing with my dad. And um, I... While working at this radio station, my mate came in, I knew he played guitar, and he came in and he was like, I've got a band, we want to do an interview on the radio, if that's okay. So I was like, okay, cool. And he was like, we've got this new track and we'll play it. So they played it on the radio, and I was like, wow, like this is a really good track. And that was it, literally from, from then, then on, while interviewing them afterwards, I said, do you want somebody to manage you? I really like, it was like, there was something about the song, and I was like, I really love the sound of this band. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any part of you that thought I could make some money here or was it just I want to work with this band because I like them I don't think I've ever thought about the money honestly Um, no it was like I just got really excited about the music and I was like 
Um, there was just and like they'd done a des- like a bit of a design and stuff, and I liked the concept of it. And I was like, God, like this. I, it was one of those first times where I was like, because I'd listened to a lot of like alt rock and stuff. It was the first time I'd heard a band that wasn't big um, doing something that sounded similar to the stuff that I listened to, mm-hmm. different enough to be its own thing. Okay. And so that kind of clicked in my mind. I was like, oh, like this could, band could actually do something because you know the bands out there that are doing it really well. They'd fit perfectly with them, you know. So yeah, like from then on in, you know, I asked them if if they wanted me to manage them. They were kind of um and ah in for a bit, and um, and then I ended up going away and like reading as much as possible on the internet about what bad management is and how to do it okay. and, and and stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of just jumped in with both feet really. So um, who was that? That was Recruits. And they still going? No. <laughs> no. Are we gonna have a theme? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay, no, but that that's fine. Um, did you leave before they stopped? Okay, so there is definitely a theme, and it's usually a case of I leave, and then the band breaks up mm-hmm. because they don't know how to continue. You you're deciding to leave because you don't think that actually the band are going in the, the direction that you want them to, or what? It usually gets to a point, and this is a bit of a blanket statement, and it's not always been the case. That's I mean, I've managed, like, I don't know, sort of 20-odd bands now. Right. And um, it's been it's usually been a case of they've kind of, they kind of stop the, the whole respect for the management and start doing things outside of what, like you know, you get get into a band to a certain point, yeah. and then the band's starting to decide everything that you say doesn't make sense and doesn't count. So is that the the hardest part that you've had to to deal with the people management, actually managing creative people? Yeah, get, getting too close to the band is probably the biggest. I I've come to realize is the biggest sort of no no in management. I've personally I've come to find okay. Um, the band that I manage now, I've been managing longer than any band that I have done before, and are doing better than anything I've ever done. But that's purely because I manage them on a professional basis rather than on a personal basis. When you say manage on a personal basis, you yeah. don't mean that you manage their personal lives. No, but sorry. as in you you don't go out and you don't go on the piss with with the band yeah. in a social level unless you're on tour or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm not not as much. Uh, I am mates with this this band that I manage, but like I'm I'm not as in their lives as often. We you know we're both in completely different cities, so we don't see each other that often. So who's this? Is this True Heights? True Heights, yeah. True Heights. So how did that come about? So I was managing a band called Years Young. Yep. Who were previ- previously a band called Amira, um, who I'd worked with on and off, and they did really cool. This this band called Amira did like amazing things in Scunthorpe so these were like the Scunthorpe band mm-hmm. and um, you know they did like BBC Introducing Radio 1 and stuff like that so when they changed their name to Years Young and changed their lineup, but they asked me after I managed recruits and got recruits to a certain point that was successful for Scunthorpe mm-hmm. um, they were like yeah can, can you manage us so I took this band Years Young on board and uh, over like a year and a half, I managed to get them from obviously nobody really knowing the name to 
Radio One again. Um, we got them in Kerrang, um, Scores, um, Kerrang TV, Kerrang Radio. That you know, mm-hmm. so that, like they were starting to get known and starting to do a few you know little support tours and stuff. And I got a bit too close with the band again, and things started um, just getting a bit shaky among the members and stuff. And during this time, a member of this band called Girls That Scream messaged me and said, we're starting this new band called True Heights and we want to do a tour. It's kind of alt-rock, it's kind of like years young. Can we support them on a tour? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I put this tour together, put both bands on. They ended up becoming very good friends between them. And I just kind of watched them from afar while I was still managing years young and seeing what they were doing. And um, I ended up taking both bands on. I was managing both of them, starting to develop them. Um, and then both of them got a label offer from the same label. And this came to a make or break situation for both bands. Right. And to put it short, like in, you know, in, in short terms, yeah. it was uh, one band took it and one band didn't. Right. One band ended up completely disappearing off the face of the earth and the other band ended up doing very, very well for themselves. Uh-huh. And that band was True Heights. Okay. And so I just ended up, I ended up after that decision, ended up with just one band. So you're still working with True Heights. I am. Is it earning you money? I would be. I would be making sort of. I'd say I'd be making. Uh, you don't have to say any figures. No. Okay. I'd be. Yeah. I'd be making money if I didn't loan the band money. Right. So currently, I've got some of my own money invested in the band. Right, I was going to say, shall we change the loan to an investment? Invested in the band. Right. Okay, so, right, I'll say that completely. <laughs> so I would be making money if, if I wasn't investing in the band currently. So I've, uh, yeah, I've got a little bit of money invested in them because we, we all work, we all do our, our share, and we all put a little bit in here and there. Okay. And so um, I ended up uh, applying for some private funding and ended up, they invested in me as a manager, and so I invested that money into the band. Okay. So we're making sure that we cover all bases, and, and it's great because the band, now with the money that they do make, it's all paying it all off. So it, it won't be long before the band are actually starting to make a profit, and, and my percentage then becomes more of a profitable percentage mm-hmm. rather than just... So how's that worked from your end? Basically, I, I've said to the band from day one, never take an advance. So we got a label deal um, and they offered an advance and we didn't take it purely because I'd rather the band not owe anything to a a label, especially one based in LA with a lot of legal backing, so to speak, and a lot of... something I'll probably you know go into in a little bit because there's a lot behind that why I sort of said, you know, we're not going to take an advance. So I decided to do it personally, and it was more this this uh, investment was more on a personal level. So okay. I knew that I trusted the person that I lent this this you know had this this investment through. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it it was somebody that I knew and somebody that believed in what we do. So I just made sure I went out and had meetings and I talked to people that have been watching us from afar for a long time, right. and it was people that I knew had businesses and um, did invest maybe hadn't invested in an artist before but by the end of the meeting I'd convinced them that okay. they should invest in an artist do you think that's the way you, 
forward in the current climate with working with bands of a certain level? 100%. Um, one of the biggest things that I've learned is in the music business, no matter how much business people in music know, people in business, actual business, know more. Okay. They know their money. They know how to they know how to invest and they know when to when to you know make that money work and they know how to um and and how to make things a bit more profitable so to speak so i music the, the people in music business are very creative but sometimes when it comes down to like numbers and plans and um it's i'd rather go to somebody who is involved in just you know a business industry okay who knows how to do like you know accounting and you know, yeah, yeah, to yeah. deal with with money sort of first hand so I, I'd say so I, I'd honestly recommend it at the end of the day when you get an advance from a from a label then you um, the, there's a lot that you're signing yourself up for yeah, yeah, yeah and you can very easily shoot yourselves in the foot with taking an advance and then not being able to create a record that can that can pay them a, you know that can pay it back or um usually a lot of the time bands to get out of deals when they, it hasn't really sold very well is, is having to completely change their name, change their branding and move on and just have to leave them that record shelved and mm-hmm. the band themselves have been shelved, you know, because they haven't made enough and they just can't pay their advance back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the things that I've identified on a huge scale and people will jump at the idea of a lot of money coming their way, but if you can't make it back, then it's just not good business. Okay, and I think a lot more people are becoming more savvy of that, um, because it's a, it's an easy way to catch a band, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just just offer them loads of money and then dangle a check in front of them. Yeah. What's the plan with with the band that you work, you're currently working with? Um. So they've put out an album, EP, or single. Uh, EP. EP. So we put an EP out with this current um, label. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's label? Uh, we are Triumphant. Okay. So they're like Sony Red distributed, which is great. Based in LA, uh, you know, they're lovely guys. Used to manage, uh, used to have Nick Deep. Um, yep. So they're like some of their alumni traitors, uh, Blossom, not Blossoms, Blossom. Um, so I knew it was, a, it was a sort of a great thing to jump on board with. Um the EP itself got into the top 20 which has been fantastic mm-hmm. um, we overtook a lot of bands that you know the band themselves idolise and stuff and it was in there for, for a few days so it wasn't just like an hour in the top 20 you know it was in yeah. there for a few days and um, we, we were on like 18,000 monthly listeners um, for a long time um, and so things are going very, very well for the band. The the, the, the socials are, are fantastic. We our marketing plan worked. It mm-hmm. worked really well. Um, so yeah, they've had that, and then you know the live shows have been doing well as well. One of the things that I've come to realize as a manager, looking at the label that they're with, is is that they're just they're too far away. There isn't the opportunity for development further. So we're actually pulling out of that contract to make sure that there was a um a get clause out. a get out clause in there. So we're we're applying that sort of end of July time, so very, very soon actually, as as I'm saying it now, and we've 
I've already started speaking to some bigger labels based in the UK that I'm interested, but they're waiting on demos. So we're working on the demos. Okay. Um, well, the band are working on the demos. So, so basically, with the demoing at the minute, we're gonna um, go to Phil actually, who did um, Death of Anna's latest album. Um, he's gonna do some professional demos for us. Right. So we're gonna pay for some professional demo recording. We're gonna put the whole package together. So we did what we did like with the last label, we package it together with the mm-hmm. artwork, with lyrics, the songs are there, just need to be properly recorded. Mm-hmm. So everything's ready to go and all, you know, and then we can put that across to the labels and say, is this something you'd be interested in releasing? Okay. Because it means that they they don't have to invest as much money into it and they're more into it because we've put the money in and right. we've put the effort in. So it's very much, here it is, ready to go, we just need your infrastructure. Yeah. Rather than... Can you help us, please? Yeah. Yeah. To me, a label is a platform. It's not a self-help guide. You know, it's, okay. it's, it's a platform that you can then release to a lot more people on, I've come to realise. And you're not in a position to go down a label services? No, I've tried with the idea. Considering you're doing a lot of it yourself already. Yeah. You know, why not go with, a, I'd, with I'd, an AWOL? I've thought about it. I've definitely thought about it. I've thought about, like, starting my own label and doing it myself as well you mm-hmm. know because i do spotify pitching as well with the publishing company so yeah yeah i know how to pitch to playlists and i know i know quite a lot but to me it's the platform itself it's the it's the audience that engage with that label that's what we need it's it's not how and you know how to do it how to release the label it's like who are we actually releasing it to mm-hmm. so these labels that are interested have the fan base that we want right that we, that we yeah, you know, yeah. that that will completely love what they what true hacks do um and i think releasing it on a label will convert quite a lot of you know those people that listen to the stuff on 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 that roster already mm-hmm. um which is something that yeah you know we, we're trying to break into so you mentioned your publishing company Black cacti. Yeah. How's that going? Really well. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Um, yeah. What made you do it? You. No. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we did obviously publishing in in uni, yeah. um, and it was it was really interesting to to see a side of the industry that we hadn't even heard of before. Mm-hmm. So there's myself and my business partner Sophie. We're very good friends, and we decided that we were going to put something together. It was initially for a dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, we were excited about, about the concept of publishing. We were excited about the fact that it, it can actually be a self-sustainable business, should you do it right, mm-hmm. um, compared to a lot of other businesses in music, like like a label mm-hmm. or, or a live events you know, promoter or things like that. So it's it's more of a like a steady regular income that you, you could actually keep it afloat. Mm-hmm. So we like that. And the fact that we worked, we, we were already working with bands gave us the opportunity to say, you know, if we start this, we can actually look after the rights of our artists mm-hmm. and we don't have to go elsewhere, you know. Um, we just have to learn how to do that, you know, this, that and the other. Um, get this label start. Uh, get this publishing company started, and and then at least we can tell our artists, look, we're looking after the your rights for you, 
and we're just collecting on behalf of you, um, which is it's quite beneficial to a, a manager because if you're a manager and you're earning say 20% and say you've invested that 20% into the band, mm-hmm. which is something you may recoup further along the line, as their publisher, you can still recoup. What went into setting it up? I mean, it's not something people do every day. No. Um, the, so, like, there's a lot of different um, PROs, uh, performing rights organisations and things. Uh, we obviously had to look into the PRS, the PPL, the MCPS. They have, you know, joining fees. To set yourself up as a publisher, you've got to actually you spend know, some words spend some money uh, to like speculate to accumulate and stuff mm-hmm. um, it's not a huge amount but yeah it's well it's like PRS was £400 and uh, the MCPS was £400 as well which yeah at first obviously as students we were a bit like oh we can't do this but we went through our university's um, sort of like investment scheme you know like <laughs> Well, that was the, I was going to come on to the fact that this is, this is a legit business. So, yeah. I mean, rather than just dipping into your own pocket or your savings account, yeah. you can, you know, the, the, these are the best places to go and ask for funding. Yeah. And if you turn around to a bank or some, someone, whoever that, may, that person may be, and ask for 100 grand, it's a bit different than asking for... 800 quid to to be able to sign on to collection societies yeah so i'm guessing that that was kind of the the way that you managed to get around those sorts of startup fees yeah yeah definitely yeah. like it solved half of the the startup fee completely mm-hmm. and then the rest we could we could actually cover ourselves then we we, we could actually afford mm-hmm. it um so yeah we just had to make sure you know that the concept of it was we had to do a presentation to show what we were doing and um, how, you know, how we would invest it, and mm-hmm. and um, you know what kind of return we might get. You know, should it go well? Yep. Um, and yeah, we just had to make sure we did like a, a banging presentation that could you know really sell it to the people we're pitching to. Um, and thankfully for us, you know, it, it worked. And so, what else went into setting it up? A lot of planning and a lot of research. Yep. Um, so I decided to go down to London for a week. Um, spoke to actually yourself and uh, a few few tutors and a few contacts of mine and basically racked everybody's brains and asked them for people they knew in publishing asked them if we could do a bit of an introduction or if you know if, if I could have their email and I could speak to them myself uh, I ended up getting quite a few emails and started doing research on each business from there I started up a brief conversation and just asked if there was any possibility if I came down to London that we could meet up um, during that conversation. You know, I'd offer to buy them a coffee or a pastry or whatever, um, literally for like half an hour at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and surprisingly enough, quite a lot of people were, you know, were very happy to help, yeah. which was amazing. Um, so I had people that were based in, you know, big companies like Cooking Vinyl Publishing, Songs publishing, you know, they would work with some huge acts like Lord, um, Cooking Vinyl, obviously Prodigy, Marilyn Manson. And so, yeah, I, I ended up with, with what, little, what little money I had left after all of this um, investment like in 
companies and bands um, decided to spend that on a week in London yeah. uh, just get an Airbnb I took my suit with me mm-hmm. and you know um, spent the week just meeting people for, from the industry and asked them questions that I really wanted to know about you know how do you start a publishing company how do you maintain it you know what are the main aspects of so it so how do you start a publishing company and how do you maintain it <laughs> um <laughs> this is almost like a from your thing. perspective yeah. from your um, and at your level because mm. again there's there's multiple ways of looking at this there's multiple ways of doing this yeah um, so we, we then put a list together of um, artists we quite like to um, sort of join and you know why we we decided to um, set meetings up with these artists um, and speak to them on a, you know a bit more of a personal level and just see where they were at and if they had a publishing company and quite a lot of people still don't quite know what publishing is so yep. it was spent you know the whole time pitching what publishing was and and why we'd be um, a great choice for them. The reasons why we'd be a great choice was because we decided to create our own sort of USP because we decided to do things a little bit differently after researching and going to speak to mm-hmm. people in London. Um, we realised that there are elements in publishing that maybe haven't been utilised as well. So we got we kind of um, decided to put up like an ad- administrative and a creative side in the business itself. So obviously the admin side meant that you could collect royalties, and then we had um, the the creative side, which was sort of synchronisation, and we also incorporated Spotify because during this period of time, Spotify and their playlisting. So you're kind of, from a creative side, you are, you've, you're more like a label. Kind of. As in, because you're, you're, you're pitching, yeah, traditionally a lab, what a label would do rather than anything like that, but it's, it's managing rights. So you're going to, for instance, how many of the bands that you work with on a publishing level are signed to a label? Uh, one. One. So you've kind of, you've, you can play with all of their rights as opposed to just half of them. Yeah, yeah. Which, but we, we just made sure that we administered just the publishing rights. So yeah. Really, um, but what, what this did was it, it, was a, it was a selling point. It's a selling point to the artist because, you know, they, they might have to go through a, a distribution service or a label or whatever to get the opportunities that we could put across with say Spotify playlists and, and then on top of that something that labels don't do is apply for synchronization and you know or some labels don't do anyway um yeah apply for synchronization and we started making the contacts in those areas as well with mm-hmm. music supervisors and things like that so we were just offering them be- the benefit of getting them into Spotify playlists which in turn would help boost their yeah. their, their their listenership um, which would help us in the long run. It was still a selling point. It wasn't something that would directly impact us, but it would help us in the long run mm-hmm. if we're building the popularity of our artists. And then, yeah, we had obviously the side of you know synchronization, which was then pitching to. So, what's I guess what's the mission statement for the publishing company? Where's what's the 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 short term objective here? What's going to be? Where do you want to be in the next twelve months with it? Um, so we've started to like scope out artists for different reasons 
now. Mm-hmm. So we've um, instead of kind of getting our like mates together or bands, you know, we like the sound of and stuff that, that are maybe doing, you know, a few little bits grassroots shows. Um, instead of getting them and signing them to the publishing company or administering them we've decided to kind of go out and now start speaking to artists that are doing it on a bigger level so we mm. want to push the publishing company above grassroots level okay we want to speak to these artists that don't have a publishing company say do you use um sort of uh, ad, like admin companies to administer the royalties instead mm-hmm. speak to them the ones that are actually playing a few sold out shows in different areas in the uk the ones that are, are touring frequently because we know as well, as well as they know is that we could administer their royalties it means we're earning more than what we were if we were working with grassroots bands we still look after the grassroots bands obviously yeah, yeah. How, how are you administering the rights why should a band come and have his his or her or their rights administered by you rather than somebody else because we we're very we've got a very personal approach to um to their rights. Mm-hmm. Have, I mean, you like as a musician, your rights are very, very important um, because you know you, you can't just sign them off or, or do you know what I mean um, to any Tom Dick or Harry or whatever you know. And sometimes you, you can sign a contract and there you go. You know, you've you signed mm-hmm. away your, your rights completely. Sophie, who deals with the admin side, because we, we split, obviously, I, I do creative, Sophie does admin, uh-huh. has created a full personalised kind of approach to, to collecting and administering their royalties, okay. which is um, regular meetings with the artists to tell them where we're at, um, to basically give an update on each, on each other's level, so, you know, what kind of, um, so they'll let her know what shows that they, you know, they've done. So she can put them through like the PRS database, okay. and um, if they've got any new songs in the works, even if they've you know um, only got a demo recording, she'll make sure that you know we can we can add them to, yeah. to you know to the database um, and then look after them as well. So she keeps like a lot of spreadsheets of you know all the information about these artists. Got a lot of got a lot of spreadsheet. Oh, she loves them as well. Like she's. <laughs> This is why we, we did it this way because we work on these different levels. But yeah, she and, and she'll she'll constantly you know um, if they've ever got any questions you know be it on 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 the side of admin she's always there you know to answer questions or if it's creative she'll pass it on to me and um, she just makes sure that they feel comfortable because still a lot of the time you know there might be questions that need answering and stuff like that and mm-hmm. uh, musicians and well to be fair anybody if you email somebody and you're waiting a week for a, a question that could be answered instantly. Yeah. Um, it makes you feel quite anxious about the company, so she makes sure that the that there's you know like a great sort of customer service. It's very personal, whereas without naming obviously any names of any companies or anything like that, but you know you get administrative services that are very automated. And um, but I mean that's the difference in sizes, isn't it? So I'm guessing this is something that you don't want to lose. No, not which all. means that you don't want to get bigger. Yeah than a certain size or at least you want to get to a certain point and then grow internally to be able to manage the growth on the roster yeah because this, if this is your unique selling point yeah then you don't want to kind of get to a point and then make it all automated and completely lose yeah. your unique selling point yeah and there is just so many bands and artists that one person can keep spreadsheets on absolutely no yeah we we, we want to we want to grow internally like our whole our whole plan our next 
um, yeah, our, our next step once we've gone out and scoped these new, you know, these new artists that we want to sort of sign up that are doing, you know, a few bigger things that we can, you know, s- sort of sell who we are as a publishing company mm-hmm. to, is to bring somebody else on board. So instead of two of us, there's three of us. And that person, we've already started to put a role down to uh, establish what this particular person will do. And mm-hmm. a lot of it will entail having a select group of artists that they speak to on a regular yeah. basis. So it means that, you know, it's almost like an um, accounts manager or whatever, you know, like you're speaking to a select group of people that you, just you are, um, mm-hmm. you know, answering to kind of thing. Um, and we feel that that's how we're going to grow. Okay. It won't be as fast as a lot of tech-based publishing companies or you know collection companies, mm-hmm. but we know that even if we start to bring people, you know, when we start to bring more people on board, we know that people are going to be happy with more of a personalised service than 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 speaking to a computer. Mm-hmm. And the publishing company, if, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't your day-to-day concern yet. Is that right? Yeah. Why not? Because quite from experience, quite often jumping into something like like this sometimes can can go very very well, which I've, I have got experience. But then you know at the same time, it's like it could be a big risk to yeah to jump. And there's a lot more there's a lot more at stake with this because okay. there's artists on board with their rights that we obviously rightfully so respect uh-huh. um, and expect them you know and and we don't want to to ruin anything like that and because we know what we're doing now with the publishing company we have set days in the week where we get all this stuff done mm-hmm. we we've already established that still while looking for work and moving on to other job roles it's something that we can keep ticking over in the background and okay. growing steadily rather than trying to sort of expand and create this big um, there was something I actually read which really helped with our decision which is I know it sounds really deep but um, is that life is not a sprint it's a marathon mm-hmm. and you know and it resonated with me so much um, because all I try to do is do something and do it big do it quick you know and um, shock everybody with like how amazing this is but mm-hmm. this, this time we'd be like nah we, we just want to take our time with it okay because you know we'll see what happens what's the plan between now and Christmas Let, let's keep it short rather okay. than what's the next five years look like? so go on <laughs> the rest of this year now that you've finished uni and you've got the managing stuff ticking over, you've got the publishing ticking over, you've got a lot going on. Mm. What's the plan? Um, I'm, I'm realistically looking for, for work under another name, uh, in, under a, a company. I was going to say, I'm going under Susan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I want to, I, as much as I'm doing all these bits, you know, I'm, I don't want to get rid of anything that I've achieved so far. But I also want to experience working for somebody else and learning how they do things, be it in a, a management company, a publishing company, or a label. Yep. Everything that I've learned has come from university or speaking to people that are in that, that area. But I still haven't had that you know, um, opportunity to actually do it myself in a company with, a, you know, with say, a recognisable name. And also for my career, I feel like something something like that on my CV is 
just goes to show that I've got the education and the experience okay. in a company like that. And I feel like then that gives me the tools to build my companies more once I've seen how a bigger company works on those levels. So, so yeah, I'm looking to either stay in Manchester or go to London. I've take I've considered going abroad and you know doing some work either you know like in America or Canada, New York. Mm-hmm. I have got some contacts out there, but it's a it's a big jump, big pain. Yeah, to to get that sorted. So, yeah, it's going to be Manchester or London for me. So. I've been applying for, for roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been speaking to a lot of contacts about what they've got coming up, uh, making sure that they've got my CV. CV and uh, I'm, at the minute, I'm just treating it as a full-time job, you know, um, applying to different jobs. Um, there's a big one that I applied for in London. I'm really hoping I get an interview for. Cool, cool. Yeah, if I do, that'd be amazing. Nice one, man. Cool. Thanks for chat. <laughs>